this live? Hey everyone, welcome Wait. to week three of the Franchise Legends Power Rankings. We've got a full slate on the board, and I am joined by the Yankees Dan and the Mariners Crab. Say hi, fellas. Yo. Hola. Como estas? Bien. Mal. Right. Hey, let's go over some news. How about our, you know, the most important news, our boy Paulie D is back, Dan. Thoughts. How was how was he on waivers? I swear I looked like a couple <laughs> weeks ago and he was on a roster because I was like, shoot, I picked him up for a dollar, and then I like, you know, didn't think about it until I see our waiver thing and he got picked up by uh, some idiot for seven dollars, I think. Like what? Six dollars and yours truly. Yeah. Still, I put still a four dollar bid. I put a nice four dollar bid in because yeah, the back of my team was a dumpster fire. What still an overpay. <laughs> what am I going to use this fab on? I'm I'm loaded on pitching. I have an offense that is doing a lot better than I thought it would. What am I going to use this fab on? Well, it's not about like using the fab. Like from it's like he's like a fringe, like he's like a quad A player basically. And it's like even if he like ends up like okay this year. For seven dollars, you're just never keeping him next year. He's just eating hey. up like a decent portion of your salary cap. Quad A in a thirty team league gets rostered. Yeah, for a dollar. Hey, for seven dollars seven dollars of fab is one dollar in real money. Look, my only shortstop is Hassan Kim, who has not been good. And then behind him is Edmundo Sosa, who is also not good and not starting and also hurt. So maybe oh, the young is like. Okay. Then you got a third one that's also not good. Yeah, add him, but he add him is to the hurt, and this team loves to play him. So. That that is true. They do love to play him. The All savior, right. you know. Hey, how about uh, Vegas? We any of us gonna go see the Las Vegas Athletics? No, uh, to boycott them. Be honest if someone invites me to a bachelor party, I think baseball is the last uh, thing I'd do. Well, you don't you don't just want to go to see the worst baseball you've ever seen in your life? In no, I go watch a tanking team in Vegas. About the only thing good about it is you know they'd have live prop bets. Oh, yeah, you know they're going to just have a sports book or five right in the stadium. Yeah, it's going to be like a horse racing track where yeah. every 10 feet you can place a bet. Yeah. And speaking of the athletics, but the uh, FL athletics are getting Fernando Tatis back. Uh, and this team is, you know, they currently rank 14th in the power rankings, and they had a good week uh, this last one. Uh, Krob, you scared of your division mate getting back uh, the the big one? Absolutely terrified. My team has decided to boycott me this year. Um, the Angels are always scary. Uh, so I think I'm strongly slated for third. Hey, you know, I've heard that uh, third can uh, a, a good wild card run can uh, can get you to the promised land. Well, right. I came in third last year, so maybe that's just what I'm destined for. Hey, I believe. I'm a believer until you run into me in the playoffs. and then. Well, I ran into the Angels last year, and they, they sent me home quickly. Yeah, well, 
get get a get a better division. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go over some of the teams that uh, kind of you know surprised me in one way or another this week. Um, the first one that we're gonna go over is the Detroit Tigers, our uh, week three points leaders. The Detroit Tigers scored two hundred and ninety seven points this week. Um, they have an offense led by the one and only Jack Suwinski, who has a completely red baseball savant page. Um, they've got Bieber leading their rotation. Musgrove just came back. Uh, hey guys, what are your thoughts? I'm, I'm sharing my screen with the folks in the pod. What do you guys think of, uh, the team that you see before you? Uh, I think it's a little crazy that they have... Corbin Carroll also. I mean, that's an R1. And Hunter Renfro playing out of his mind. They're pretty set up to compete for next year. They don't have anybody really expensive besides Christian Walker that they got from the auction. But for the rest of the season, their pitching set up pretty well with a lot of pretty steady guys and uh, breakouts that they bought for this year with, like, Gibby and Alex Cobb. Yeah. yeah, they spent the they spent the they money also, on, their, on their pitching, but their their lineup is so cheap and a lot of really good contracts too. They've got like four like rookie contracts that are starting, uh, R ones and R twos that are all like I would say like above average guys. At least if, if, assuming Sawinski stays, you know, is an above average guy. Um, that like you said, they're really set up well for next year. Lots of cheap guys um, uh, for their uh, for their hitters. Talking about Padres coming back, they also just got Musgrove back. Yeah, yep. Musgrove's back. They, I, I mean, I think I had them second in my projections, and for good reason because the rotation is a strength, the lineup is a strength. Um, they, you know, you would think with a team kind of this stacked with prospects um, that just graduated, like. Carol and Melendez, um, that the farm might be a little weak, but <laughs> they've got Simon Woods, Woods Richardson, who is a huge um, riser right now. They've got Kobe Mayo. They got Joey Ortiz. Um, they've got a few top 100 prospects down here still. Um, so the farm's looking nice. The rotation, the lineup, all looking really nice. And my projections didn't even account for um, contracts. So, yeah, like you said, Corbin Carroll, $3 R1. Um, MJ Melendez, only $9 and still in a rookie deal. Stephen Kwan, $2 rookie deal. There's there's a lot to like here. I think uh, another thing that makes him really dangerous is, I mean, he's not in their lineup this week, but including Yanni Chirinos, all of their relievers could be starting pitchers in relief pitcher swats. Seth Lugo, Clark Schmidt, I know he's not starting right now, but a lot of injuries there, and Yanni Chirinos. That just sets him up for a lot of bulk points out of their RP slots, which a lot of people don't have, to have three starters. Yeah. Oh. If you think there is something that's uh, maybe a weakness here, what, what do you see that they could go to acquire? Um, I mean, their outfield is definitely their strength. But besides that, I mean, probably shortstop. 
Ahmed Rosario is going to get a lot of run, but in a points league specifically, they are he is not the best play just because he gets a lot of strikeouts, not a lot of walks. Uh, besides that, I would say it's back in pitching with Josiah Gray as his last pitcher. I'm sure at the trade deadline with teams selling, he could probably finesse his way to get probably a three or a four from somebody that will just put up better numbers than Gray, who's not going to get a lot of quality starts or wins for the Nationals. Yeah. Well, they have Gray long-term, so hopefully Gray turns it around because they have him on a four-year deal. Uh, so right now he's only $4, but that that could start looking pretty rough if, uh, if he doesn't figure something out as he develops. I would like to maybe see them get – they don't have to really supplement this team um, with, like, too crazy of buys. Uh, I would I would think even just like one or two high end relievers and maybe yeah like you said a really top tier shortstop if they move Rosario to someone with a spec yeah get I think it, if they get a better shortstop and maybe one more reliever or one more starter I think this is a definite top four or five team in the league yeah I agree let's move on over to the Los Angeles Angels. The Los Angeles Angels are our new uh, number one team in the power rankings. They have leapfrogged the San Francisco Giants after outscoring them by 40 this week. Um, They put up just about 260 points. uh, And we haven't really gone over the Angels too much or even at all in the pods that uh, to this day remain unreleased. Um, But they're, they're out there waiting. Uh, but we haven't addressed the Angels yet, um, which is kind of surprising because the Angels just completely steamrolled everyone at the end of last year uh, on their way to the championship. And, Krav, you, you know all about that. and You were one of the teams that got steamrolled. Even though you tried your best, it was a valiant effort. But how, how, yeah. how do you think about uh, their team this year? It's sufficiently scary. I mean, I had a choice of keeping Castillo or Nola and pretty obviously at the moment made the wrong choice. Gave him arguably SP1. But, I mean, they're steamrolling everybody and you're only getting 40 points out of Salvi. Uh, They're starting second baseman, Luis Garcia. You know they're going to upgrade that at some point. They have Altuve on the IR as well. That's going to be a massive upgrade when he comes back. And then they've made... They have Alex Call on 43, 43 points on their bench who everybody... A whole bunch of other leagues, not necessarily this one, went for a whole bunch of fab. Same with Stuart Fairchild. And then their pitching. I mean, Hunter Green, Castillo, Dustin May, Charlie Morton. Just to have those guys and Heaney on the bench, who, I mean, he's been up and down, but that just shows the depth of this team. They're they're well built for an injury to happen. And like we just said, they're steamrolling everybody with arguably the second baseman number one in all of baseball on their IL. Yeah, they've also still got Wes Neske and the minors just because they don't even need him right now. Not that he's been great, but, you know, there's depth. Tried to put up a fight, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, and then I realized Heaney was just going to have the game of his life, and I lost by about 100 points. Well, maybe next time. Dan, you have any thoughts on the Angels? Do you think there's uh, a specific area that they 
could try to improve on sooner than later. I mean, I know we've talked about Altuve will come back to replace Luis Garcia at some point. Um, any other any other spots you're looking at that you think might be a weakness for our number one team? I mean, their their pitchers are solid. I would say potentially their relievers. Um, maybe they've got kind of um, like one spot that's all right. Maybe just like their back end pitching because their lineup is really deep. Um, like we said, the Eval Tuve coming off IR, and um, I don't remember if Donaldson. Yeah, Donaldson's gonna be back as well. Um, don't know how um, how much of an upgrade that'll necessarily be, but it'll at least be another utility guy um, that they'll have. Like their lineup's just really deep, so I don't think really there's much they can upgrade there. Um, potentially just a back end of their pitching. Um, it's where they could potentially get some upgrades. Yeah, I could. I uh, I pretty much agree there. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and stop by our uh, our New York Yankees. Um, Dan, the Yankees have had two middling weeks in a row now. Uh, back in week one, your team scored the third most points. Uh, I would say I wasn't too shocked. Um, it, I didn't got, I didn't peg you guys as a top five team, but there were the pieces were there uh, to maybe surprise. Um, but you followed that up with two weeks where you've basically put up almost exactly the average score um, and average is uh, usually not enough to get you to the playoffs. Usually you have to score top eight points week to week if you're wanting to have a, like a guaranteed spot. Um, so these middling yeah. weeks, is anything concerning you uh, kind of lead us through the process of what you guys are thinking about uh, you and Andrew as um as you kind of figure out how to write the ship. Yeah, so it's really just the pitching. We have the number one um, hitting score out of the entire league, um, just a little bit ahead of the Tigers we just talked about a little bit ago. Um, I think they're kind of right on our heels, but there's a pretty good gap, I think, to the third one. Um, and our, our lineup has just been, like, super overperforming across the board. I would say, like, Bellinger's looking like an MVP right now. Like, our outfield was the one we were like, oh, it's like the questionable thing we have. And we've got, like, two of the top, I want to say, three or four um, outfielders right now with Bellinger and um, and Reynolds. Um, so our, our lineup's really kind of, uh, for the most part, overperformed. There's been a couple, like, slow starts. Abreu and Jansen have been really slow. But other than that, like, <clears throat> I think our lineup's pretty solid. The pitching's been rough, which is why we have had kind of these, like, average weeks. Because our lineups have, like – like super scored like every week basically for us they've been great and then we'll have like a couple bad starts or like Presley blows two saves in a week and it just like kind of ruins our pitching score for the week which is how we end up with like an average um an average week so we're just hoping that like the pitching kind of turns it around um there's been some like promising stuff that we've seen and like senga has been good um I would say for the most part um he's just been getting gassed late in games and just kind of giving up a lot of hits and walks in, like, the fifth, sixth inning. So hopefully he just pick up, picks up the stamina a little bit and performs. But probably just the pitching is where we might be looking to make some upgrades um, with starting pitching, um, get, like, one or two more guys. Um, but our lineup is, I think, pretty, uh, pretty good right now. Yeah, okay. Krav, as, a, as another vet of this league, do you kind of concur with uh, Dan? Do you think um, the pitching – 
can write the ship, or do you think some ads need to be made here? I mean, I, I kind of agree with him. The only thing, like, uh, Jansen's slow start, the catcher is probably the least uh, impactful hitting position in this league. Yep. Last year, he probably had maybe his career year. I mean, we obviously can't see into the future, but he's had a pretty slow start. Uh, and then you know that Abreu's going to score more points than that. He's just known for RBIs, especially in Houston. But the pitching specifically, like I, one of the big off-season buys that you got from, uh, I think it was Kevin, Kyle Wright, to only have 7.5 points through however many starts he's had. Is that three? Uh, he was uh, hurt. Yeah, he was hurt. So he had a the first start is basically a rehab start for him. So I kind of just don't even count that one. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a slow start for him, but he didn't, he didn't really have a spring training, um, and then had basically a rehab start for his first start where he got, um, hit around a little bit, but his last two have been okay. Um, so we're hoping that he definitely kind of writes the ship, which we're definitely expecting that from him. Yeah. And then besides that, um, obviously Singa or Singa turns out to be a great buy from the auction or the minor league to have him at $6 for two years. I mean, uh, we've seen this before with Japanese pitchers the first year, around, first go-around. Uh, I think, oh, who was the Yankees pitcher that just went back? I can't even remember his name. Was it Tanaka you're talking about? And then people kind of started to figure him out. So until I see him pitch the second time versus teams, it's hard to say what he's going to be. But at the moment, he looks like a great buy. But to have, like, arguably Montgomery as your ace, it's kind of like the Cardinals problem in real life. Like, that's a good three but you don't yeah. really have that, that guy carrying you every week that you can count on, like, 20-plus points. And maybe Kyle no. Wright goes back to being that guy. Uh, but, yeah, right now you're kind of just waiting on him to either shake off the rust or, um, you know, figure out what's going wrong. I'm sure yeah. you'll have opportunities to buy at the trade deadline because, like, teams like me and others that are middling, like, middle is the worst place to be in these leagues. So if if selling happens, uh, aces will be out there. It's just if you have the cap space to take on the contracts. Speaking yeah, of, which we we generally do have the cap space. And the last two guys we looked at, I think we're max. We're like we got about thirty dollars left or so. So I think we're set up to get add like add like one more piece, um, which I think is really kind of what we need. Because I think we have a lot of guys. Like I would say like. Montgomery and Wright are all very good, like, number twos, kind of, I would say, in fantasy. Um, number two, number three kind of guys. Um, we are just missing that one guy who can really just carry a week, especially on, like, the two-start weeks, which I know we talked about kind of a lot last week on here with some of the teams that just exploded last week. It was like, oh, well, you have, like, DeGrom throwing twice or Scherzer throwing twice. And it's just, like, you know, when you have those guys putting up 80-point 80, 80 weeks or so, um, it, it just they just win the week by themselves. If we don't have a guy that will really do that. So I was going to say, uh, speaking of, um, Krab mentioned that being in the middle is the worst place to be in this league. Um, I, I kind of want to preface that uh, with the reason that being in the middle is, is pretty bad is just because you may be inclined to sell or buy, but you're just stuck in the middle. You don't know which direction you should go, and then by the time you figure out uh whether your team is going to con going to contend or not, uh, everyone that might have been buying or selling has already made their moves, and now you're just kind of left in the dust, uh, holding the bag that is your team. Um, and to that end, the Toronto Blue Jays 
uh, a team that I actually have ranked exactly 15th in the power rankings, but they've opened up to a 1-5 start. Um, Jamie, our co-commish, uh, has gone in the trade block, and he started marketing his guys. Um, he is ready to move uh, many of the just guys that are on one contracts right now. That includes Garrett Cooper, um, Brian Anderson, who's having a fantastic year, Brandon Belt, who's not, um, David Bednar, uh, Matt Strom, two very well-regarded pitchers right now. The Blue Jays, again, like they've started out pretty hot, but um, the way Jamie sees this team is that uh, he's not he's not certain that they could compete, so he's going to start uh, scouting the market. Uh, Krob, Dan, do you guys see anything here um, either that uh, you think might fetch the highest value, uh, might be the most in-demand players, uh, or just your thoughts on the direction of the Blue Jays right now? Yeah, but just real quick, that we're in the same division as them. This is very much, I think, like a death-by-division kind of thing because they've got both um, us and the Orioles that are competing this year um, that are, I think, both 5-1 and one and very close in, in total points. So it's really tough um, just because the division that the Blue Jays are in. Um, like, you're not going to get any, like, free wins in the division, and then trying to win the division is really, really hard. Um, so n- not to say that, like, you have to sell or anything like that, but, um, you know, if you're in a much softer division and you start out slow, it might not be that big of a deal. You can come back from it. It's just really hard starting at one and five, and you've got two people you're looking up at that are four games ahead now um, that I think makes it a lot more appealing to sell, um, even though you're right in the middle of the power rankings. Um, I would say he's well set up for next year, especially if he trades these R1s for any kind of prospects. Or not R1s, just 1-1s. Because you saw the um, kind of layout that the Tigers and the Marlins did they kind of sold halfway through last year or even a little early and they used their prospect capital after the auction since they had so much budget from having a cheap team to supplement what they couldn't buy in the auction with prospect capital, which I think going forward is definitely going to be the way to build in this league. We're getting out of like the, the early days where it's your first draft is kind of what you are. And now it's how good you are at trades and, uh, minor league decisions to build your team. So I think Jamie, especially selling early, is a good move if he doesn't think he's going to compete this year because it leads to you getting the, the first offers and being able to ask for more than having competing people at the deadline who are trying to wait to see if their team can compete or maybe make the playoffs just in case. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's really well uh, set up. If you look, he's got like a number of uh, – not necessarily like, uh, starting players, but like high quality, like MLB ready guys on R1 contracts right now that are just sitting in his minors um, that are likely going to be, you know, very good over the next few years. So he's really well set up. The one thing that I think is tough is that a lot of the guys that would fetch a lot of um, like trade value, I think, are on really good contracts for him that he's not going to want to trade. Like, if you look at, like, Kirk is on, like, one of four at $7. Jamie's like, not going like, to trade Kirk. He has, no, a, no, he has no, a low exactly. Alejandro Kirk. Yeah, but that's my point. It's like you have Kirk, like, Christian Javier, 
and like Shane McClanahan. Like those are like the three guys, but it's like they're all in one of four. You're going to hold them long term. You're never going to trade them. So it's like, okay, who do you have to really trade? And it's tough because like a lot of the like guys on either like one of one like expiring deals or just on like the like, they were just drafted like the one years. It's tough because like I don't know how much they're going to necessarily get as, as far as value. Like Bedner is like great right now, but like do you really think the Pirates are going to stay like relevant enough where he's going to get a lot of save opportunities down the stretch? Maybe, but I mean the Pirates are still like pretty far down the Vegas odds for winning the division, and they're currently in first place right now. I think the uh, player that can probably fetch the most at the moment is Brian Anderson. I mean, I know he's playing probably over his head right now, but to have uh, third base and outfield eligibility, uh, specifically third base in this league, kind of drops off quickly. Someone would probably overpay for him just due to need or injury. The second an injury happens to third base, there's really no one you can get on the wire or anybody from cheap. Those who have sold third base don't have third base anymore, so Brian Anderson will be in high demand. I think uh, yep. DJ LeMahieu, just by nature of having uh, first, second, and third eligibility, is at, at any point in time there's going to be uh, a contending team that loses their depth at that position, and then LeMahieu might become the top guy available instantly. So, and one of one deal, you know, he he wouldn't be that expensive. Yeah, and then he has some, like, older minors players. Like, Brent Honeywell has essentially 44 points this year, and he's in his minors. I mean, that's someone – I don't think Jamie would be too attached to a older prospect who's kind of lost his value. At this point, if someone needed a reliever, that's someone he could – someone could probably get for cheap, and Jamie could get a piece that could get him something next year. Same with, like, Jason Adam, Matt Brash. I mean – these are players that are pretty replaceable in this league, but if they start performing uh, better than expected, people always need relievers or depth pitchers. Yeah. All right. And I'm just noticing, I thought like, we're not allowed to have non-R1s on our minor slot. Yeah, I, I've noticed that too. Jamie is breaking the rules. I'm going to actually have to uh, cut those players. So you're going to see um, Hamilton, Perkins, and... Gregory Santos re-enter the waiver wire in a second. Cause We're they, to find him. Yeah, they, he doesn't have bench spots, and uh, they need to um, be cut. If a rogue commish. Rogue commish. Let's no go guys. on rogue. All right. Uh, now we're going to some teams that uh, really struggled the past week. Uh, the first one that we're going to touch on is actually – this is a struggling team, but they had a little bit of a resurgence. They outscored uh, Yankees Dan. They scored almost 240 points. It's the Cincinnati Reds. Um, they have very clearly kind of been tanking this year. Um, but even uh, even teams that have sold off a bunch of assets can sometimes surprise you, especially if, the, if they're running full lineups. Um, and this team is led by uh, surprise Slugger all-star Nolan Gorman, um, who's just crushing the ball and is now the number three hitter in in the Cardinals lineup that features two Hall of Famers um, pretty much in their prime. Uh, he's got several pitchers that I think are just completely out of their mind right now. Um, Vince Velazquez has had 
like three really good starts in a row. Dylan Lee has kind of surprised to be one of the top, if not the top reliever that's not getting saves in baseball. Um, and, and I just wanted to see where your guys' thoughts are um, on this team in general. Uh, do you think that there are some um, uh, certain pieces here that may have looked like they should have been trade fodder before, but now you think they're maybe long-term keepers? Um, I'm not really talking about the guys on the rookie contracts, but anyone here that's on a one deal or a uh, uh, an R2 deal where they're going to have to be offered an extension after this year to be kept, um, anyone here that you see that you think has kind of changed your perspective? I mean, I'm sure you and Dan have seen more of Gorman than I have. But for him to have the season he has, I thought he was – not a 4A player, but he was essentially a platoon player. He may still be that, but for how he's performing, he is definitely a keeper. No way that guy gets moved. But they're only at, what are they, $160 of budget. And even with keeping some people and losing some others, I mean, that sets them up very well for the auction. And for the players that they do have under contract, there's really no one expensive. I mean, what is their most expensive player going to be like Miguel Rojas? Or Jesse Winker. Yeah, Winker or Gallo. Yeah, but I'm sure Gallo will be moved for the year that he's having. Uh, a tanking team. There's no reason to keep that contract. Gallo now has first base eligibility, which we have seen as kind of hard to fill. Uh, but I think they've set themselves up really well for next year. We know that their prospects are good because they've been selling off and getting a whole bunch. So the second that they sell off their last pieces that are okay, because they're they're obviously not competing for a championship this year, they're going to be a scary team next year to have to deal with. So the players like Gallo and Vargas and some of their pitchers like Vince Velasquez at the deadline are going to go for not a haul, but, I mean, a decent amount. And that'll set them up even better to go into the auction with $100, $150 and win who they want and then use their specs to supplement their roster. Yeah, just real quick on the on the Gorman piece, because um, I, I think, like you said, Dave and I have seen kind of a lot of him. Um, I do really like him hitting uh, third in between uh, the two Hall of Famers, because uh, his splits against righties has been, like, insane, and against lefties has been pretty mediocre even last year. Um, and so – you know, you can no longer bring in the lefty-lefty against him because then you have to have a lefty face, uh, you know, Goldschmidt ahead of him or Arenado after. Um, getting a lot of favorable matchups, and he's just mashing the ball this year too. Um, so it's it's really interesting how they're using him now. Um, the Cardinals. Is he it. all DH or just second base? Uh, no, he's kind of splitting time, so he'll play um, second. I think he might have had one start at third, I want to say, when Arenado uh, DH one day, and then he's been DHing. So he can move around a little bit, um, but mostly second in DH. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's really interesting what they're going to do with him because he's, like, forced his way into be an everyday starter now. Um, at the start of the year, he was kind of a platoon guy. And I think even last year, like, he could have been traded and started on a lot of teams. He's just a log jam at third for the Cardinals. They've moved people elsewhere in the minor leagues, and that was uh, Gorman, I think, started as a third baseman, moved to second. Um, 
Walker, same thing. Started at third, moved to right field. Um, but Gorman was a big name coming up, and last year was pretty medium, and he's just absolutely mashing the ball this year and seems to have somewhat solved his strikeouts issue. Um, she was striking out a lot last year and not quite as much this year, I think. Yeah, I also just want to say, or I guess get get some feedback, uh, it was mentioned that the Reds are only using $161 of salary. Uh, just doing a little cursory glance at guys that they have on the IR, you know, looking at Chris Bubich, who's out for the year and has some upside behind him and is only going to be $9 next year, uh, Ryan Pepio, um, Mondesi, you know, if, if someone wanted to take a gamble on him, plus several prospects who are either They're very expensive. solidly top 100 or um, are got some helium behind them. They, it is better to be lucky than good, 100% of the time. Um, the Reds have no doubt been a little lucky this year. I don't really think they should be three and three maybe two and four or one and five like the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, but they are three and three. They're one game out of first place behind the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, they're tied with the St. Louis Cardinals. And though we haven't done a full uh, league breakdown, the National League is the weaker league of the two. Um, the American League is kind of stacked right now. Um, and the National League is a lot more up for grabs. The Reds have $200 worth of salary room, a prospect farm that could get them there, um, and some guys that are either overperforming or have unlocked something new like Gorman or just have started getting a lot more playing time than you might have thought originally. Uh, I'm looking at guys like Sam Hilliard, Miguel Vargas, um, even guys in their bullpen and starting rotation like Vince Velasquez uh, has probably earned at least 20, 25 starts with the Pirates, if not just being a full-time starter through the year. I think the Reds could compete this year if they wanted to. Um, I completely agree. I mean, they definitely could compete this year, but I think to go in this year would be a little ill-advised. Not because they they could definitely make the playoffs and potentially win some of their money back or even get their league entry back. But to have as much cap space as they have to go into the auction with 100 to $150, buy whoever you want. You know you're going to outbid. If you have a specific player, you know you can win him. And then use your spec capital to fill your holes. Sets them up very well to be a top-end contender for you know one to two years. And if they kind of shoot their wad this year trying to fill multiple holes in the long run would set them back farther than it would help them. Like, and the thing is like, how do they compete this year? Like they'd have to sell a lot of their really good R ones, uh, like, like the, their actual R one to do that in order to fill all those holes. And they'd very much be like mortgaging their future to try to win this year. And it doesn't feel like they're super well set up to win this year. Like they have a lot of holes, I think sure that they're in a weak division and they can maybe make a run at it, but like they have maybe three, maybe four guys um, like hitters that you like would really want to have starting. So they need to be filling another like five or six holes there uh, by selling R ones. And their pitching is like, I would say pretty good, um, but you still have like probably three, maybe four holes in like your pitching staff. 
um, that you're trying to fill. So like, I think you just end up selling a lot of capital um, from their minor leaguers. Um, and I would just be giving them a chance. I wouldn't be putting them over the top this year. So yeah. I think that's really tough. Like a and lot then, of their really good guys are R2s, R1s, um, or cheap on one-year deals that they can re- So it's like, why why would you bother trying to do that this year and trading away a lot of these guys and just, you know, take take one year and then you can, you know, you're really well set up for, I think, the next year or two. Yeah, and you got to think their prospect capital is even bigger than we think it is because it's obviously not listed on fan tracks. Dave has it somewhere, but they were without a doubt the most active team this offseason and early in the season. Their MILB budget is uh, absolutely crazy because they made so many trades. So they're going to be in the running for like Dylan Cruz and people like that. So their prospects are going to be even higher to be able to make trades if if that is what they need. Because, I mean, if you get the number one overall prospect, I don't know, like, for instance, if Kevin wanted to compete, what he could have traded Drew Jones for, like, straight up. I think that's, you know, maybe a top 75, top 50 player. There, there are three teams. There are only three teams that have more uh, acquired signing bonus than the Cincinnati Reds, and that's um, the Chicago Cubs, like you, we were saying, the Philadelphia Phillies, who have ninety-five dollars, um, and then the Los Angeles Dodgers, another team that sold assets prior to the season. The Cincinnati Reds yeah. have acquired seventeen dollars of signing bonus. Um, which is, on its own, $17 is, I think we saw that was kind of a back-end first-rounder. Um, yeah, that's like, a, or you could get a breakout like Junior Caminero. He was around there. I mean, so yeah. that's that's giving you a top 100 prospect in itself. And then we're assuming they're going to sell off. And obviously, the worse they finish, the more money they get to spend. So... I know they're they're kind of playing over their head at the moment and doing better than they should, but I think we should fully expect them to sell anything of value that isn't a long-term. The more prospect capital they can get this offseason and the more money they can have to spend at the auction, they're going to be a frightening team to deal with next year. The one, the one thing that is an interesting part of this, um, the way the league is structured, I think, that I, I haven't gone through all their prospects to see, but they're like maxed on R ones, um, and have a lot, a lot of really good guys. Where you get a lot of extra, uh, extra dollars with the more slots you open up too. Um, so, I think the the question is like, how many guys are they going to keep to like really make like their dollars go the furthest? And how many of these guys? Because they have a lot that are like more than just a dollar um, on R one contracts that they bought in the draft or have traded for. Um, so it'll be interesting to see like. You know how many slots they're really going to open up um, to spend for? Um, cause that was something we were looking at going into the draft this last year. Um, it's our first year in the league, and was like, you know, what's the like right number of R ones to cut, and how many do we want to keep to really like maximize the amount of dollars we can get out of the draft? Yeah, um, that's a big part of it. You really want to have like five or six slots open, I think, at a minimum. Um, well, they'll they'll have plenty of spending opportunity because there'll be teams like uh, I know me, the Angels, uh, the Nationals we all were pretty much running 360 caps by the end of last season. And whether we wanted to keep a player or not, we had to sell him. So like Luis Castillo, I had to get rid of this last year. And if they have good R ones that uh, someone seems desirable, just because a player that they were essentially going to have to cut for nothing, they can turn those R ones into a big league player to help them compete that year. 
yeah, it'll hurt their MLB budget, but they're going to get more money for that minor league that they can then use to uh, trade for more people. So I think after the season, they're set up pretty well to kind of hop on the teams and get who they want before they're just cut and sent to the auction. If they're comfortable with um, extending a player or taking on. All right. We've pretty much covered the Reds. Let's stop by the last team we're going to go over, which is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates were our number one team week one. The, uh, the Flyin' Buckos uh, were sailing the high seas that, uh, that first week. And since then, in week two, they were slightly above average. A good week at 242 points. Um, but clearly, it, it was not a repeat performance. And then week three, they were a bottom 16. They scored just over 160 very a very poor showing overall uh and this this begs the question of you know they've had one good week one really good week one really bad week and then that week in the middle uh and of course the the timing of those weeks suggests that it that may be on the downswing but looking at this team um and we've gone over the pirates before dan and i in week one uh what we said then was that the offense was stellar. The infield was maybe the best infield in baseball, um, and the pitching might carry them uh, more than we expected with the rise of guys like Joe Ryan. Uh, but since then, um, things have kind of taken a little bit of a turn. Uh, Garrett Cole is still the number one pitcher in the world, um, and Joe Ryan is looking like a guy who is a solid number two. But then after that, the the guys around them have have not really performed too well. Um, Dre Jameson opened the year in the bullpen. He's in the rotation now, but uh, isn't blowing the world away. And I think he actually may have just gotten optioned. Um, Brady Singer has been off to a really rough start. Their bullpen is not good, um, even with this. Yenier Cano guy who uh, has thrown seven perfect innings to start his career. Um, the offense is still, I think, stellar, but like Manny, the worst start of his life. Um, and even though there are some guys performing here uh, way over their heads, there there's just some things that are going wrong in uh, in Pittsburgh. What do you guys think? Um. I think their team's performing well. I mean, you got, as a Rays fan, you got Taylor Walls, who, I mean, nobody really expected 60 points out of Taylor Walls. He was without a doubt like their fifth, sixth infielder. Um, But I think their main problem is just contract constraints. I mean, you got Vlad, 55, and you got to pay him for two more years. Machado, 41, you got to pay for two more years. Wander, 41, you got to pay for three more years. Mookie was 51. I mean, he comes off at the end of this year. And then Garrett Cole at 45. I mean, what I just listed is almost their entire budget. I think it's just they don't have much room to supplement or couldn't really do anything with that many large contracts. If, uh, for example, they could move, if I was in their position, I mean, 
I like Jazz, Machado, Wander, Vlad. But just to get rid of one of those contracts would give them so much flexibility, I think it would actually actually help them in the long run. I think just with the way that their money is uh, constructed at the moment, it, it's a hard, hard thing to do when most of your money is locked up in like five players in a 30-team league because that gets you to quad A players almost filling out the rest of your roster. So if if they are trying to compete for next year, which it kind of looks like what this team is built for, their minors aren't the best. I think the best way that they can do that is to move one of their expensive contracts as much as they could get now and then set it up where they could use uh, some of the capital they get back to get players to fill out the holes in their roster. Because I think depth is really the only problem for this team at the moment. Yeah, real quick, just running the numbers, uh, assuming that they don't move one of these contracts, just the five players, um, Vlad, Machado, Franco, um, Garrett Cole, and then I also include Mike Soroka, who's going to have to have a $30 contract next year unless he gets moved. Um, that is $223 of their $260 budget. Um, keep in mind, that's five players, so another $21 of that is accounted for. That brings them up to like $16 left to work with, and then you already see Brady Singer is going to cost $23 next year. So long-term contracts they have literally have to be moved or or dropped at a harsh penalty. Um, So they are in a really, really tough spot after this year, uh, just from a money perspective. Um, And they they have to figure out how to mitigate that at the end of this year. So the question then becomes – Moving them now is a lot easier than moving them at the contract deadline when some other team has to, you know, pay the bill, essentially. Um, The Pirates, there is incentive then for them to move some guys now, but they intentionally did this. I mean, they spent money, they acquired some guys, and they're at 354 out of their cap. Um, so their plan was to compete, and they looked like they were going to compete. Uh, and I, I think I'm okay with writing off week three as a stumble, but uh, th- that's seriously worrying. Um, if I was in John's position, I would be trying to figure out how do I figure out how to add to this roster without, you know, making navigating through the cap hell even harder at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, if you get big weeks from those guys that he has money in, uh, besides Soroka, um, that can beat anybody. I mean, you get a two-start week from Cole and Vlad and the other hitters putting up uh, probably their, like, 70th, 80th percentile outcomes. I mean, you're going to win that week just because – they are worth the money they're being paid, but to have that much money locked up in so little people that if one of them stumbles and your depth isn't that big, it's kind of hard to supplement. Even if, I mean, worst case scenario, say one or two of them gets hurt, what are you going to do? That's why I think you gotta you have to sell now uh, before people really start thinking about money in the long run. He's got are, are nearly as bad, I think. I think most of these are fairly workable. 
Um, I think Guerrero is going to be really tough to move, though. 55, I think, is really hard um, to move. Cole probably could get moved um, for somebody looking for an ace. I don't think 45 is too high for a pitcher. Um, and he's just playing out of his mind and really has been the last few years, too. I think he's been, like, he's been, like, crushing the last few years, and he's still been underrated somehow, um, which I don't really get. I think Yankees fans just, like, wanted him to – well, they, I think they wanted to win the World Series, like, the last three years, and he can't do it himself. Um, so I think that's really tough. I think the thing that's really tough, though, is um, – well, for one, he's in a really soft division, so there's a good chance he just wins the division without trying this year too much. Um, and if you're going to kind of run away with the division – I don't see why you'd want to sell and then just lessen your chance in the playoffs. I think he's kind of screwed no matter what he does. Um, looking into like the next season with the salary cap, I mean, you'd have to sell literally probably two or three of these guys to make like a dent in order to try to compete next year, like with the auction. Um, I think there's a very good chance you just go all in on this year, um, and then you just end up punting next year. Um, these guys maybe either in the off season or after the draft next year you sell off some of these more expensive contracts just because I think it's really hard. You're already at almost a 360 cap. Um, and I think trying to get this something that's workable or manageable going into the draft for next year is going to be super hard. Even if you do start selling now, um, I think, you know, while you're in the driver's seat for the division, you might as well just like stay on course and just hope these guys all just play out of their minds. Um, and you make a run for it. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Uh, you got teams, uh, like I said earlier, with the Tigers and the Marlins who could take on contracts this offseason. Uh, these players that are on the larger contracts are definitely going to be obtainable by teams that were tanking and running sub-100 uh, payrolls uh, at the end of the season. So if he wants to just kind of ride it out, I'm sure he could make the playoffs and maybe get some money back. Uh, I think he could, but it's just... Uh, even if he does that, like winning the division, I don't remember in the league rules or anything. I don't know if you get – you don't get anything for just winning your division. It's all playoff finishes, right? Well, if you do win your division, you have a chance to get a bye if you're one of the top two division winners. So a bye, yeah. in, the, a bye in the playoffs is essentially free money. So Yeah. I don't know if the Central itself is going to get a bye. It's kind of a soft uh, – Soft division, like well, Dan well, said. Well, if it's a soft division and his team just runs away with it, then by nature uh, he could get end up getting the buy there. Yeah. It's just – it's kind of – I would say it's like flipping a coin if he wants to kind of gamble on maybe some free money by having a soft division and finishing high, or if he sold early or trade deadline, he could probably get some more flexibility for next year. Uh, because, like I said earlier, I think we saw kind of the layout the, with the the Tigers and the Marlins in kind of selling early to middle of the year and giving yourself all the flexibility to take on contracts that people can't have and then uh, using your prospects to supplement, I think is the way that this league is kind of built. I think that's how you have to compete. So if you can move a couple of these big contracts, I think that puts him in the best case scenario for next year. Because my thing is if, if you're not completely dominant in a thirty team league or a league like this, it's it's almost bad to be like seven through twenty 
because seven through 20 kind of puts you in a middling area where you don't, your prospects aren't the best and your big league roster isn't there to put the points to win. So you're, you're kind of stuck in no man's land. Yeah. Here's the thing that like his, I think his roster is set up where he can just make a run in the playoffs. Um, like the lineup, like we talked about, it's like probably the best infield you can get, assuming everyone stays healthy because he doesn't have much depth, but you have the best infield you can get. You have Mookie Betts, who's like an absolute stud too. Um, and a number of like decent guys um, around them, I would say, um, where your offense is going to be putting up points. And then you have Garrett Cole, where on a two-start week, he could just win your week for you. Um, where if it just lines up correctly in the playoffs, he can just get a free win from Cole and just hope the rest of those guys blow up the next week. Um, where I think he's set up where he can potentially make a run and win it. Um, I think it just kind of depends on what you want to do. Um, with this. I think you could certainly try to sell. I just think it's going to be really tough to. And I think he's in a spot where he could very well finish um, either with a buy or um, just winning the division um, and kind of coasting in. Um, but it's set up where, you know, you can have these like massive, massive weeks like we've seen for, I think, the first two weeks that um, the Pirates had were both excellent. Um, and actually, you know what? Both of those, I think, were Cole's two start weeks, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, I believe both of those first two weeks were uh, Cole's two-start weeks, and I think Cole had uh, over 60 points both weeks, or close to 60 both weeks, which was like the hard carry you get from Cole. So it's tough. I think that if – I don't know if there's any way you could possibly add another um, pitcher or anything with this, where with the, sal- with the way the salary cap is set up. Um, for him, he's got like $6 left to spend, um, so it'd be tough. But I think the lineup that he's got right now – um, assuming the schedule works out, um, he's set up where he could potentially make a run in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, Cole Cole is going to win you a week, like every three weeks with his two starts. He and, did it the first two weeks, yeah. Yeah, so, and plus, I mean, the new schedule, it, those two start weeks aren't guaranteed to be against, like, Rays, Blue Jays, Red Sox, Orioles. Like, they're going to be against Royals. Like, it, so... The way the schedule has changed has really helped Cole out uh, in his two start weeks. Yeah, he may have one start against an AL East team, but a lot of the time it's going to be against a softer opponent. So I think you're, Cole is going to carry you to like 60 points in two start weeks. And then if you get even mediocre performances from his $50 players, it's going to win him a week. It's just how far does he see himself going or what his goals are? Like, is he shooting for a championship or is he just shooting for a playoff run is is my thing. Because this team is definitely set up to be able to make, like, a, uh, get a bye or win their first round of the playoffs. But the second that they have an off week from a hitter or Garrett Cole only pitches one game against, say, the, uh, the Astros and he gives up, like, a homer or two, then he's kind of screwed in points-wise. Yeah, it sounds like both of you are kind of viewing the Pirates as damned if they do, damned if they don't, so they may as well do kind of yeah. kind of perspective. Yeah, their ceiling is extremely high, and their floor is very low, I think. And we saw that this week. You know, on, their, on the two-start weeks for Cole, you're going to end up with some massive weeks, which is why they can be really dangerous in the playoffs. Um, but you're going to end up with a lot of valleys throughout the season. Yeah, I think it all depends on, I mean, just how lucky they get with, other teams uh, point output. 
because if you get to the trade deadline and they're in like third place or lower in their division, which I mean, I'm not saying is likely outcome, but if they're not firmly in first, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't sell. But if they're in first or second place, there's no reason to not just go for it. Yeah, looking at the rest of their division and the power rankings, the Pirates are 12th. Next up are the Brewers and the Cardinals at 19th and 20th, and then the Reds and the Cubs. Uh, We talked about the Reds, how they could compete, but probably shouldn't this year, and the Cubs are um, just not trying this year. They've they've made that very clear. What do you mean? They're only about (laughs) 1,500 points out of first place. Hey, you know, just a couple of buys and they can get there. You're dealing with the Giants and Marlins probably getting buys? Well, maybe. The Marlins have to go against the Nationals. Um, well, I would I would say probably Giants, Marlins, Nationals. Yeah, uh, but, Giants are probably getting a buy just because their division isn't as tough, not having to face Marlins, Nationals over and over. And Mets. Mets are in there, too. They're a good, good team. Yeah. So, I mean... The Pirates will probably win their division, but they're not going to get a bye and then going to have to go up against the best team out of those. So it's just if winning a first round of the playoffs and then having to go against the number one NL team is worth it to them is what they have to decide with. I still think they could win the bye, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. It'll be made a lot more clear as we see how the Pirates perform over week four and week five uh, if they continue to just be kind of reliant on uh, how many starts they're getting from Garrett Cole a week. Um, I I think they should stay near the top with the way their offense should perform, especially once Machado kind of rights the ship, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, Okay, let's go ahead and wrap up our team reviews and just take a quick look at the standings uh our um last undefeated team uh can you guys take a look for me do you see who the last undefeated team is i don't think there are any can't can't see anything myself yeah i think your screen blacked out i can't hear you anymore dave i think it's cutting out well the chicago white Sox are the number one team right now the last undefeated champion uh i am six and zero. thank you very much um i am just one game over the detroit tigers this is a two-team race um the other three teams have gotten off to slow starts the twins and royals are not going to be competitive this year and the guardians uh have kind of stumbled out of the gate so this is definitely going to be just a two-team race the al east the yankees and orioles we've gone over both um, are going to be very strong, but just behind them, the Boston Red Sox uh, have scored just a handful of points less than the Baltimore Orioles. They've just gotten a little bit bad luck so far, and they've faced you know really good teams. I think their uh, fancy points against is probably the highest. Yep, they have the most points against of any team in the league. Just behind the, or just ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays, also in the AL beast, if you will. Um, back to the standings: the Los Angeles Angels and Seattle Mariners, forever in their uh, everlasting duel. 
the Angels currently have a huge points advantage, though, and the Oakland Athletics are just a handful behind the Mariners at 3-3. Three and three. Over in the NL, the Pittsburgh Pirates, as we were discussing, lead a weak NL Central uh, that's still up for grabs. Maybe the Cardinals, Brewers um, step up and claim that spot. The NL East, you see the Nationals and the Mets atop the division despite the Miami Marlins uh, having well more points than either of those teams. So this is definitely going to be competitive going forward. And in the NL West, we have the Colorado Rockies at 5-1. and one. Um, They have less points than the 4-2 San Francisco Giants, but that's just luck of the draw. They actually have more points against than the Giants, too, so it really just is a small sample size right now. The Padres are 4-2. and two. Um, The Diamondbacks and Dodgers are 3-3 three and three and 2-4, and four, but they're well behind in points. Um, and I think you can kind of clarify that the NL West is going to be mostly between the Rockies and Giants with the Padres. Uh, a bit of a dark horse, but certainly in the race. All right, you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, it's interesting to see just the, the difference in points scored for the AL and NL. The uh, Somehow, the amount of teams really gunning for it in the AL and the NL is very different. I'm not saying that, like, the Giants are obviously scoring a whole bunch, along with the Marlins and Nationals. Besides that, I mean, it's it's pretty heavily dominated by AL teams that are competing at the moment. So, I mean, if you're an NL team and you feel as though you're maybe fringy, you're probably closer to competing than you think you are. And you have anything to close us out? Um, not too much else. I'm I'm kind of excited to see how things shake out. There's a lot of interesting spots I think we talked about today for some teams that are in that middling uh, kind of situation right now. And we still have, a, I think, quite a lot of time until the trade deadline, if I remember correctly. So um, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out over the next few weeks. Yeah, I think judging on points scored and even points against when you think about divisions, there may be some surprising sells coming. Because when you think about the AL and just how competitive it is, no matter how good your team is, it's only as good as the team it plays against. So if you're just getting smashed in your division, uh, it may be a good time to sell and try and maybe move your window out another year to uh, wait for the... And with that, we'll go ahead and close out the Franchise Legends podcast for week three. We'll see everyone here again for week four. Maybe we get Krob back on the podcast then as well. Thanks again, guys. And uh, John, hit us with that outro.